There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, West Ham show their top four credentials, leaving Jurgen Klopp bewildered. Were Manchester United more embarrassed by City or Liverpool? We'll ask, are Arsenal back to their best? And Dean and Daniel wave goodbye to Villa and Norwich respectively. This is The Game. Welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wozencroft. Joining me today, Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. And for the first time in person, you can smile, Alison. We're here. We're meeting. <laughs> it is great to meet you. It's great to see you. Everything I'd hoped and expected. How are you? Oh, I can tell he's disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> you are exactly like you are on Zoom. That's what I'm going to say. That's the there biggest, was no, there was biggest no compliment filter. I can give There you. was no filter. <laughs> Alison, let's talk about where you were at the weekend. We're We've got loads to get through, of course. Some huge results, some huge decisions and non-decisions uh, to discuss in the Premier League this weekend. You were at Arsenal, though. We're going to start with them this week. They're up to fifth in the table. They beat Watford by a goal to nil. Emil Smith-Rowe impressing once again. They're now unbeaten in 10 games. The question is, are Arsenal back? Well, back to what? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Fifth. Back. Back to a team that uh, have you know, kudos and should be doing well. Not quite watching them, no. It was a very strange experience. What they've got that they haven't had a lot of in recent seasons is a bit of gumption and an ability to ride disappointments. So they had a goal chalked off, uh, offside. There was a missed penalty. There is a version of Arsenal that go a bit lily-livered at that point and and don't like it. But what probably was... Uh, slightly spooky and most impressive about Arsenal was in the second half there were a few runs that sort of petered out into nothing and the crowd they flipped they do that they do that at the Emirates more than anywhere in the universe the crowd as one flipped and started to groan very loudly I wouldn't call it booing it wasn't booing but there was a definite change a sudden palpable change in mood they were getting on the players' backs. They'd had enough. There was near the press seats, there were a lot of swearing and uh, anger at how ineffectual the running was. You know, they were dispossessed too easily. And within, I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating, within 30 seconds, Arsenal scored. It was as if they needed to be told to just get your act together, mate. You know, do something, be a bit more positive. And you had Ben White storming forward. Um, there was just they just they just sort of looked like oh I know we're not, we're, this is Watford we should be doing better and they scored and then the crowd lifted and from then on they were they were with the team I've been at that stadium when the crowd have turned and the players have have, have just lost it they've either become ill disciplined or been unable to to just look unified so that was a change I think and maybe speaks of this word unity that 
um, Mikel Arteta is very fond of using. He is fond of using it. <laughs> Speaking of words we're fond of using, thank you for ticking the box for younger audiences in your very first answer with the, the first mention of the word lily-livered on the game podcast <laughs> since I took over. Thank you. Thank you very much. The youngsters, we Google it, you'll find out. Um, I want to talk to you next, Gregor, because, you know, you're a secret Arsenal fan, let's be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have their best interests <laughs> at heart, it seems. How are you feeling about Mikel Arteta's side right now? I think we're just seeing the value of having all the, the best players or the majority of the best players on the pitch. I know that's not like really insightful analysis, but it's the truth, particularly the defensive pair at the back, uh, Gabriel and, and Ben White. Tommy Asu has come in and been very solid. I was impressed with Tavares as well, left back. Absolutely, there's great improvement. And, and the, the fact that they've had a few clean sheets now, I think it's three in a row in all competitions, just a solid platform for them to, to build on. And... But even like you know, Maitland, Maitland Niles came in yesterday into midfield, and and it didn't really diminish them too much. He was, uh, you could question whether it was a foul on uh, on Saar, but he was involved. He was right in the, in Watford's faces, trying to keep you know recycle the play, keep it keep on top of them. Again, Smith Rowe and Saka are just absolute gems, and if they're in the team. They've always got a chance. Tom, the Arsenal fans have been pretty unhappy last week when the England squad was announced not to see the name of Emil Smith-Rowe in there in particular. But they also think Ben White might be included in the defence. Do you think those players should be included in Gareth Southgate's squad? No, not yet. And I don't know why Arsenal fans would be upset about that because like with not being in Europe this season, I think that kind of thing can only be a distraction at the minute because they're still a very young team. They're still, you know, they're on a good run. But as Alisson says... You know, back to what? They're not back to any kind of lofty standing yet. They're in a good run. And for Mikel Arteta, keeping players together, keeping them out of the international spotlight can only be a good thing because that's where this unity comes from. I think just echoing Gregor's point as well, I was looking earlier and since that Manchester City defeat, Ramsdale, White and Gabriel have played every game since then in the Premier League. Eight games, six wins, two draws, five clean sheets. And when you think back to the team Arteta inherited with I feel like the defensive situation changed basically every game in terms of, you know, you had the good old days of David Luiz. Um, <laughs> that kind of stability, I'm not saying they're world beaters, any of them, but it's the consistency that they're getting now, which is coming from those clean sheets. And I should also say, I don't know anyone out there who would have said Ramsdale would be as well thought of as a good signing as he is at the minute. You know, we're into November and everyone would have been saying that Ramsdale's one of the signings of the season and he's got the Arsenal number one jersey and he could be a future England number one. Anyone else see that coming? I definitely didn't. No, I think you're also ahead of yourself too. I think people can quite quickly make a kind of assumption about someone. Look, he's obviously a very talented goalkeeper. He made a world of a save against Leicester last week. I still think he's he needs to be a little bit more composed yeah I know I agree when he rushed I just mean that and I think was it Josh King should have scored really but look he's been brilliant he has made some brilliant saves and kept Arsenal against Palace he was outstanding as well but I wouldn't get ahead of ourselves just yet with him personally but what Tom's actually saying is if if the Arsenal players can avoid European competition avoid being called up for international duty (laughs) avoid having to do the washing up Yep. or any childcare duties <laughs> Absolutely. or go to fit. the supermarket they might they might reach the top four yeah, well, <laughs> even then I would have said top six to be honest <laughs> um, Alison you were there uh, Danny Rose knocked the ball out Watford player was down in the build up to the goal Arsenal didn't throw
throw the ball back to Watford. They threw it in to their own player. Um, it did go back to Watford. Ismail Asar could have been fouled by Ainsley Maitland-Niles. They lost the ball very cheaply. Emil Smith-Rowe capitalised and scored the winner. Do you think if it were the other way round, the uh, Emirates faithful would have been up in arms? Oh, yeah, they'd have been booing their heads off. But it, I think there's... Um a line in the sand here I think if Danny Rose had knocked the ball out because an Arsenal player was injured and was you know thinking I'm doing the right thing because I know 100% we're going to get the ball back then there would have been a moral issue there with it but he, he was he was knocking the ball out for his own player who was quite a way down the pitch who clearly wasn't that injured because he, he felt the need to tell him to go back down to the ground he, he, he stood up so there were blurred lines as to why he'd done it anyway. I mean, you could even argue maybe it was a tactical ploy because he felt uncomfortable. He was worried about uh, conceding a corner or hoofing it and giving the ball away because they were under a lot of pressure in the game, Watford. I mean, the laws of the game do not state that you give the ball back. If a player's properly injured, it's up to the referee to, to decide whether the game stops or not. I think in this instance, probably Rose made the biggest mistake in... I don't know. It just seemed overly cautious. It was for it was his decision for his player who wasn't badly injured. I don't think the onus is on Arsenal at all to worry about exactly what happened and give the ball back. Agree? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I agree that there were, there were blurred lines in this, and as Alison says, it was his own player. Probably was a little bit of a time wasting tactic. But when you roll the ball out like that, you know, all Arsenal had to do was was throw it back to him, and he'd punt it down the line, which was his other his other option. And I think he didn't want to do that with a player down. You know, Arsenal still would have had play, I think. But, I think but, they wouldn't, wouldn't uh, give it back to Watford to start playing again because he kicked it out in a pretty defensive position. Throw it back to the Rose, he sticks it down the line, Arsenal still But at the, the point of the throw-in, there was no player down. It's quite easily forgotten about that that might have been what happened. He had time and space around him. He didn't have to pass the ball out at like a snail's pace mm. right beside him in the corner. He could have taken in touch, he could have tried to find a pass, he could have played it down the line. He did that for the purpose of his of the player being down, whether he was getting up or not. And there's a lot happened afterwards, mm. and they can feel aggrieved that there was a foul on Sar as well. So, yeah, look, the first bit was a little bit blurry. The second bit was a definite foul. And again, we were talking just before we came in here about what constitutes a a clear and obvious error from a referee. And uh, personally, I think that was one. Anyone debate that? Do you think Ismail Sar was fouled, Tom? Yeah, I think he was a kind of the way Maitland Niles goes into the challenge in a kind of shoulder barge type way. I think that's definitely a foul. But I mean, Gregor hinted at it there. We talked about it before. It's this seems to be this desire for the oh come on, let's keep going. This let's keep football flowing type thing, which was where so much of the criticism of VAR came last season. And these are the incidents where perhaps we're seeing a bit of an issue with it because the, the desire to let the game go and not in, interrupt and oh, there's been a goal scored. A goal is a good thing. Let the good thing happen. And I think, yeah, Watford, a little hard done by. Okay, that's Arsenal wrapped up. I should take the time here to pause and just say, we're not all sitting in the same room. Uh, Alison, Gregor and I are together. Tom, we're in a radio studio and Tom is through the glass, essentially, if you've ever seen a, a radio studio. And it's, it's a bit of a broom cupboard situation he's surrounded by speakers you told me it was the most screens. important chair in the room yeah we had to, we had to, we had to get someone in there <laughs> what's um, going on Tom is currently the, the Clem Fandango to my Stephen Toast okay <laughs> the, the thing is because of the screens I can only see his eyes it's very off-putting I'm just staring very much 
into them and yeah so if you could just divert the, the glaze slightly from time to time <laughs> okay, that, would, that, would, that would maybe make me feel a little bit more uncomfortable I didn't realise we had that, that level of relationship uh, let's move on though um, West Ham United is next third in the Premier League table after a stunning not shocking 3-2 win over Liverpool at the London Stadium David Moyes' side ending a 25 game unbeaten run for the Reds and the Liverpool manager afterwards Jurgen Klopp said it was an unnecessary defeat Tom, what do you think he meant? Jurgen Klopp always means a lot of things with those kind of comments and you need to prod him a little bit and then he starts saying things like, oh, West Ham have been great this season but they weren't that great today. He talks slightly understandably about that Aaron Cresswell challenge which I'm sure we'll come on to. I don't know whether unnecessary means we shouldn't have lost the game because I think West Ham were excellent. They've been excellent all season. They've been excellent for a long time. One of my favourite teams to watch and as you say, wasn't that surprising particularly because I didn't make Mo Salah captain in my fantasy football team because I thought West Ham might win this. Yeah, I think Klopp's being cute there and he's kind of implying perhaps some other the other moments that perhaps went against his team. We'll come to the moments, but what he did go on to say was essentially that we had West Ham where we wanted them at one all we were in control but we lacked patience we rushed things we felt like we had to go and win the game maybe that's his side feeling that West Ham are so good that it put them out of their stride yeah and I think the game had got a bit hectic a bit back and forth hadn't it and West Ham were playing brilliantly on the counter attack they were actually playing a little bit like Liverpool had done in the past when Liverpool had played teams that were bigger, better than them perhaps and they were playing quick, looking to get forward quickly and create chances. I mean, that Jared Bowen run was brilliant, absolutely brilliant to play in Fornells. So yeah, perhaps that suited West Ham a bit more, which is a strange thing to say for a David Moyes side who are so organised, aren't they? That actually the slightly hectic back and forth nature suited them more than it did Liverpool. I thought what Klopp meant was that every manager should get three wild cards where they're allowed to delay the half-time whistle so you can add <laughs> you can add 10 minutes from the second half onto the first half while you're playing well that's because a Liverpool lot, that's a lot to delay Liverpool, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've studied him and uh, so because Liverpool were on top not in the scoreline sense but you did feel that if the first half had carried on for another 10 minutes they might have wrapped it up so I, I think he just meant you know the game sometimes goes against you those silly rules about 45 minutes so what happened in the second half <laughs> why, 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 why well, they had a break and they didn't want a break and then they <laughs> came out and <sighs> didn't use that second wild card did he no mm. Mm. no they i um i think too many liverpool players were misfiring allison had possibly the worst game of his season so far no definitely the least impressive game of his season so far the midfield was quiet rather than bossy. Uh, Sadio Mane also had a ineffectual, relatively speaking, match. And I, I just don't feel Liverpool, for all the plaudits they get for when it clicks and Mo Salah scores goals that are goal of the century, um, they don't seem to have been scoring against them. And I don't think... They, I don't, they weren't scary I don't think West Ham was scared of them and I think all those things combined I don't know I just felt I felt West Ham the the best quality of West Ham was their fearlessness and sometimes just now and again Liverpool don't react well to a team that is physically superior and fearless against them Liverpool at the best are masters at when there's a turnover they're not letting the, the opposition get out 
and that's misfiring at the moment and a number of times you saw Van Dyke having to hear back after mm. Antonio or someone and looking pretty exasperated after as he does stopping <laughs> stopping a, yeah. a chance at Solskjaer I thought he was great thing. he was brilliant but he looked angry a lot he mm. turned around you could see him kind of punching his fist and saying get tight get tight and no one was getting tight so there were far too many instances in the second half where West Ham were able to break quickly and it exposes them and I think you know Van Dyke can mop up only so many times he was when Bowen ran through he was the player who was confronting Bowen and then there's no second Van Dyke unfortunately mm. so uh, Fornals ran through and, and, and finished it off I just think those kind of turnovers Liverpool's midfield aren't they aren't on it at the moment Not, I mean look we're talking about fine margins here and we're talking about a West Ham team who are playing brilliantly on the break and Antonio is, is such a handful so look wait, the other thing is West Ham were so compact. There's so many times I was watching that in the second half, thinking Liverpool were looking for the little little pockets of space. What Klopp talked about it, the little half spaces that you're trying to find. That's you know, it's not that Liverpool couldn't find them. It's that West Ham didn't leave them. They were so compact. So many players behind the ball, and very very hard to break down. They, they had a golden chance from a set play at the end to equalise. But I think West Ham were deserving winners. Should Cresswell have seen red for the challenge on Jordan Henderson? He seemed to dig his heel into the ball. His left leg bounced up. It made contact with the upper leg knee area of Jordan Henderson. His right leg came round in a bit of a scissors motion as well. Henderson didn't milk it, to his credit. It was checked. It wasn't a red card. It wasn't even deemed a foul by the referee. Um, what do you think? Well, speaking as the red card adjudicator, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> it was very... It was a... Uh, right on the borderline but I say no because because what you said there was important the ball you look he went in really strong but his foot bounced off off the ball it wasn't like he went in high footed from the start he went really strong <laughs> strongly for the ball and his foot bounced off the ball and, and caught Henderson on the knee the thing is was it in control uh, it, it was until his foot bounced off the ball these are the kind of tackles this was spoken about I think I think it was whenever I think it was maybe Coleman against Palace earlier in the season there's one on the touchline and this has been spoken about these are the t- kind of tackles you want at the game you know you hear pundits like Jamie Carragher more saying these are great tackles in our day they were good tackles in my day actually but you don't really want them anymore because they are a little bit malicious that's the truth you know you do that as a defender you've got a chance to win the ball and hurt the opponent absolute bingo <laughs> absolutely but those challenges are now try- we're trying to get them out of the game because you don't want players to be hurt in a tackle mm-hmm. so Creswell saw that opportunity he, he won the ball and I don't think you know he didn't he didn't go on high his foot bounced off the off the football so I think why I don't think we no. I agree with everything you said Gregor but why don't we see that you know in terms of the laws of physics why don't we see that more often that you go in hard and you get the ball but your foot spins off the ball into the player that was an unusual outcome yeah it's like a coming together of two forces you know that, that kind of when you hear the dull echo of the football or yeah, everybody yeah, in the stadium yeah. it was that kind of thing it's just chance it's just that's just far more often you see a player going through the ball and making contact with the player that's what I've argued so many times on this show saying you can't not do that as a defender sometimes it's the only way you can win the ball otherwise you just have to say on you go yeah. so this wasn't an example of that he went undoubtedly to leave one on on Henderson and it, it, it came out worse than I think he intended as well. 
I think Greg is right. No, no, I think you're right. I just really like, I've got really distracted by the idea of you during your playing days flying into a challenge, taking the man and the ball and standing up and going, bingo. (laughs) (laughs) No, that would be frowned upon. (laughs) You happy with the red card? Uh, Excuse me, no red card for Cresswell. Well, we know what you think, you clearly. No, I think Greg is right. I think spot on that, you know, and I've said recently, haven't I, with some of the challenges in Liverpool games, they've had two against Atletico that I didn't think were red cards. So it's about time they got got one go against them, I think. I, th- I think we're going to agree on this one, right? Uh, Jurgen Klopp very unhappy with the first goal from the corner, essentially, punched into the net by Alisson. Was it a foul by Angelo Ogbonna, whose arm, when he went up for a header, seemed to clash with the arm of Alisson, maybe misdirecting it? Foul? First viewing, I thought not. So I, I do think keepers are ridiculously overprotected. But having looked at various angles, yes. And he, he wasn't able to do his job properly. He was impeded and therefore it was a foul. Gregor? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more to say. <laughs> Tom? I would agree with Gregor. I don't think it's a foul. But what's interesting is that when you think about that challenge and then you think about some of the offsides that have been given this season for interfering with the goalkeeper when you can be stood a good few yards away mm. and you've got Ogbonna jumping side by side with Allison, and that's not given as a foul that again to me highlights the farsity of the kind of the offside decisions that are being given what you saw really there is intelligent set of play from West Ham in that Antonio was on the goalkeeper he's doing whatever he can to put him off within the laws i.e. just being a big guy really close to him and kind of sticking his bum into him and stuff yeah, you saw yeah. him do that as yeah. he was trying to push him away so those little touches initially were enough to stop him getting a run up and then when the defender comes up his arms are up as he's perfectly entitled to do to, to win the header and Alisson is not very high off the ground mm. if Antonio hadn't done the first bit Alisson would have come and taken out everything so that's brilliant That you know, and it was highlighted in, by some of the analysis afterwards Declan Rice just standing for the for the second goal as well just standing stopping Van Dyke being able to backtrack to win the header that's brilliant that's just a fine detail that gave no obstruction no he's, he's made no attempt to go towards the ball isn't that obstruction he stood still he stood completely still and it's a in a penalty box that's not a foul so he stood still Van Dyke couldn't backtrack Antonio's on the goalkeeper Zuma gets a run goal brilliant should um, Liverpool defenders be helping him out a bit more there though in terms of taking control of the situation he should be helping himself out it was you know so many times a goalkeeper uh, in my career I've had a goalkeeper say come here get in between the man and me because that that just yard of space if I'm if I'm the one who's close to the goalkeeper I'm not going to try and put him off so that yard of space allows him to run round and get a run and and get a punch or catch it it's also quite telling Alison discussed it recently about Aaron Cresswell's delivery from corners and how if anyone could take a corner for you it'd be him Four Niles equally and it says a lot about a team like Liverpool that have got big big characters they looked a bit scared whenever West Ham got a corner they're like oh crap here we go again and that perhaps is where some of that lack of organisation comes from that lack of leadership that dominating because they looked like they were going to score and some of those deliveries are almost impossible to defend against I think Bowen as well was, you know they've got some great set piece deliveries and I think they had three corners they scored two goals and hit the crossbar so we're using as much time as we possibly can so far on the game podcast we've got loads more to get through very quickly and very finally on the game at the London Stadium are West Ham now genuine top four contenders for as long as they're in Europe I think they'll struggle I think it'll be similar to last season I think they'll be close to the end whether they'll make it at the end I'm not so sure 
So that's a yes. Genuine contenders. Yes. Tom? I think yes, because they're contending for that fourth place. They're not top four contenders because there's a top three who are miles better than everyone else. There's <laughs> so many circuitous answers but they, here. But they're going, for, they're, going for, they're going for fourth with everyone else and it's where they're a really good, fun, organised West Ham. Well, I'm very Should happy. Should we do that again? Yes and no. I'm very happy for them to win the uh, Europa League. Oh yes, of course, and reach the Champions League next year. We'll see exactly what this season holds for West Ham United, but a great win for them over Liverpool. Up next, we're going to talk about the Manchester derby. We'll also talk about those managerial sackings in the Premier League this weekend. Stay with us on the game. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. After a 2-0 home defeat by rivals Manchester City, Manchester United now sits sixth in the Premier League table, six points behind the leaders. There was a distinct gulf in quality between the two sides as pressure mounts for the United boss, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, with some reports today linking the Leicester boss, Brendan Rodgers, with the job at Old Trafford, which brings a smile to the face of Alison Rudd. Uh, listen, before we get to managerial changes, was this defeat for Manchester United worse than their 5 nil loss to Liverpool two weeks ago what a stupid question I, I, everyone everyone seems to be deciding that is the narrative they conceded three fewer goals there was a lot of politics going on with Pep Guardiola saying oh you know it was the ultimate expression of our beautiful football we've never dominated a game so well and all the players buying into it saying it was the most fantastic performance I, I just don't I I didn't see it that way at all I felt I felt um, United were poor and really when they're in that mode when it's not clicking for them and they haven't got that sort of urgency to do something when they're on fire United I still think they're capable of looking quite attractive and enjoy you know they're enjoyable to watch they didn't get the ignition really to only score twice against them was a bit disappointing <laughs> and I, I don't see why losing five to a Liverpool team that stopped playing the minute the Pogba was sent off so it could very easily have been 10 I don't see why this is considered worse because it could have been 10 against City as well no it couldn't though it really couldn't not really it's to do De Gea, De Gea did a couple of good saves but he's part of the team I'm sick and tired of people dividing football into what the goalkeeper does is different and shouldn't be counted as part of the team performance if De Gea is playing well for his manager, that's a good thing for Solskjaer, isn't it? His, his, his keeper is responding to being chosen and is playing well for him. That is a plus point. It doesn't mean it's a PS to a really shit performance. I mean, get a, get a grip. In no way was that worse than losing 5-0 to Liverpool. And let's face it, 
you know, I interviewed Patrice Evra and he, he laughed when I said, you know, who would you rather, is it worse to lose to Liverpool, worse to lose to Manchester City? It's like, well, City, who are they? Liverpool are the team that we hate losing to. So it really wasn't even that important in the grand scheme of things anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. it. Okay, go on. <laughs> It's just to do with the domination. I think the, the the games, it's almost more humbling because they come and they have, I think it was 67.5% possession at Old Trafford. They just bop it around them all day. Liverpool play in hugely intense, kind of sporadic moments that are blistering and great to watch. But it's a, it's a different experience, I think. And you spoke about it before. You said, we, we, we spoke on Thursday, you were saying, is it going to be another humbling afternoon? And I was like, it's possible. And you were saying, yeah, but it doesn't have to be the scoreline. It could just be in the manner of the defeat. Mm, mm. And you were absolutely right. That It was the manner of the of the defeat and the performance and the sheer domination, just looking at two teams polar opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of just technical ability and coaching. Desire, work rate, tenacity, intensity. I mean, everything. Everything, everything. everything yeah. So it was the it was the full experience really. It was you go you go and watch your team at home in the derby, and you watch them get, being absolutely humbled and by a team. One was a free one was a freaky goal. One was an own goal. Could easily have been nil nil that. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been. But it would have been yeah, the most dominant nil nil. It was one nil. Liverpool the Liverpool defeat could not have been nil nil. I, I agree with you on that. Liverpool are more clinical. I just think Manchester United were toyed with. And They're always toyed with, man, against City. No, Every listen, time, even listen, when you've beaten them. It's been the same for listen, years. Let, let's put it this way. Liverpool came in the ring like Mike Tyson. They absolutely obliterated their opponent in the first round. I mean, it was it was destruction. Whereas Manchester City took it 12 rounds and it was death by a thousand cuts. And I, I think Manchester United might have walked out the, the, the ring changed forever I mean it was it was it was that kind of defeat it was it was everything was wrong for me as a Man United fan maybe to a bigger extent than Liverpool because like I say we, we couldn't even keep the ball past two passes it looked like a league two side in the EFL Cup who'd maybe gone around too far taking on Manchester City I, I thought it was it was laughably bad for Manchester United it often looks like that and when even when Solskjaer's beaten Pep Guardiola it's been like that you know, they've got a penalty from Fernandez. McTominay scored a really late goal to make it 2-0. City always toy, toy with United. It's a good result for United. Lose 2-0. <laughs> Honestly, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They've got they've got Villarreal, they've got Watford. They're the more important games. Doesn't matter. Lose 2-0. Not, not embarrassing. No major headlines like Liverpool. Get your head down, lads. Finish fourth. Qualify to the knockout stage of the Champions League. That's all that matters. Good result. Right. Okay. Um, for, as a, just just as a Manchester United fan, because I know they're listening, probably means a little bit more than that, and I don't think they care as much no, about it, the games against Watford and Villarreal. Just 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 letting you know. No, that. I get <laughs> it. Listen, I grew up in Salford. I get it, but I just think the reality is with this United team, it's been like this for ages, and so it comes to a point of where you have to be realistic about what their chances are. Yeah, but they've competed in the past. Or have shown, you know. Yeah, they're in a bit of bad form at the minute. So I'm just saying. So that's what I'm saying. And I agree with Alison that they're in bad form at the minute. Yes, De Gea had a good game, so that's a positive. And so, you know. How bad is the form then, Tom? Is it is it time for Brendan Rodgers? Oh, yeah, time for Brendan Rodgers, a guy who's struggling himself at Leicester. I mean, but that's the point, isn't it? They've, there aren't Antonio Conte's gone to Tottenham now, so there aren't any obvious candidates out there to take over. And we know already that Manchester United are going to stick by Oli Solskjaer until it gets really, really bad. And at the minute, they're in the Champions League. They're competing for the top four. 
They've only lost 2-0 to City. Let's crack on. Just, just so you guys know, Tom didn't want us to spend too long yeah. on, ma- on, on Manchester the- United, which is why he's trying to dismiss <laughs> no, but the topic. It's right to have that you know, tone of resignation about it all because it is. We have seen pretty much all of this before. I think this was a little bit of a notch up on any of the sort of past humiliations. Not let's not go back over the, the Liverpool, the most recent one. I'm just talking about to look at the two teams on the pitch and go, wow, the amount that they have. I don't know if they've regressed, but. <laughs> No. City have just gone so far past them beyond them that it's embarrassing now actually oh, we've been saying this for ages come on Solskjaer's an average coach he's a nice lad they've got some good players they're trying to finish fourth that's it finally then on this <laughs> point do Manchester United need Brendan Rodgers what would he bring to the job would they in your opinion Alison should they sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can you say what Gary Neville won't <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't <sighs> I I would be astonished if they appointed Brendan Rodgers and the Old Trafford faithful accepted that. A rejected Liverpool manager taking over their team. At least with Solskjaer, they have the narrative of he's a hero and they love him. And I've been at matches where the fans have serenaded him even in the midst of a crisis. There is love for Solskjaer and his connection his connection with the club and his history with the club is what's partly keeping him in a job and why the board feel they can stick with him because they partly part yeah okay maybe it's a lot to do with it now but i don't see how they would regard rogers as the savior he was sacked by liverpool part of the reason he was sacked by liverpool was the job in some respects was too big for him his um abilities in European competition were severely lacking he got overawed quite quickly and I think subsequently in his managerial career he's he's found the sort of the rarefied aspects of the job more difficult I think a club of Leicester's size and paternalistic attitude suit him perfectly I, I think he would love the step up to take on Arguably one of the biggest clubs whoa, in world whoa. football, <laughs> and I don't. But I don't. Th- I don't think Arguably he's got it. Off. I don't think he's got. I just don't think he's got enough about him for him to be taken seriously by the fans. I think the next appointment has to be pretty wow. I just don't think Rogers is quite wow enough. Would you have him? Well, he'd be an upgrade. But I, I kind of tend to agree. I think that probably the the baggage, the Liverpool baggage, would be quite a lot for some fans to get over, and also just the baggage of. Brendan Rodgers kind of well the perception some people have of him I, I don't think he's the right man but look, undoubtedly be an upgrade anyone really is an upgrade at the moment on Solskjaer I think people just need to sort of accept that 14 home games without a clean sheet in all competitions for Manchester United they haven't had a run that bad since 1959 but there is still no decisive action uh, over the managerial's position or rather there's no decisive action over a managerial change really it seems like they are sticking uh, with him but there has been change at Villa Park and Carrow Road Uh, let's talk about Aston Villa first after their defeat to Southampton A lifelong Villa fan, Dean Smith, has been sacked after three years in charge. In that time, he took them from 14th in the Championship. Promotion to the Premier League was won. He avoided relegation in their first season. He also reached the EFL Cup final. Last season, they were 11th, but after five straight defeats this year, Villa now sits 16th, two points above the relegation zone. Tom, the question on this is, should Dean Smith have been given more time? Yes, absolutely. For me, I think... It comes to a slightly modern phenomenon of teams like Aston Villa who have loftier aspirations, perhaps, 
in a very, very competitive league. Would Ultimately, would Aston Villa have gone down this season with Dean Smith in charge? No, I don't think they would have. Then perhaps the board could have looked at it and said, let's part, part ways at the end of the season. Let's cheers, all the best. Let's get someone new in now. I th- it feels like a very knee-jerk reaction at this stage in the season when they had a lot of change during the summer. We've talked already about the stats that show the impact of having no Jack Grealish is having with their chances created being far lower than they were at this time last season. But then players like Leon Bailey have barely played. I think he started two games. I was looking earlier, he's played something like 270 minutes in total. And when you look at those kind of minutes played, the top six are your kind of your Consers, your McGinn's, Martinez, those kind of players that have been there for a while. So your impact players aren't having as much of an impact. And so that's been a difficult thing for him. For me, he should have definitely had more time and I think it's going to be very, very interesting now as to where they go from here because arguably they they could be in a position where they take a chance on someone. There's talk of Steven Gerrard and others like that. There's no guarantee that it gets better, basically. And so I think from that point of view, they should have kept Smith, maybe accepted a season that wasn't as successful as it was last year and then looked to change. Smith's the fall guy here. I mean, I've heard people saying, oh, you know, he's if a manager misspends the club's money you know yeah. he's going to go but uh, did he spend the money they have no. a sporting director the, and the sporting director is the one who's at fault here I mean the people they've brought in haven't performed um, Smith was you know what a curveball to build your team around Jack Grealish and I think the way Dean Smith handled the constant speculation about whether Grealish would be going even when he wasn't going and then it looked like he would be going it, it was you know absolutely a a star a, a way of making sure his star player kept performing um, I mean Grealish gave him lots of headaches as well and he, he his, his man management skills absolutely superb so you you just take Grealish away bring in players if you've got a sporting director they will not be entirely the players you want you'll be told oh, this player's good value this player's going to rise in value you know we've done analysis Dean this is the way it's going to work and you go along with it it's not worked and yet there are worse teams than Villa so Tom's spot on they're not they were not going to go down this season and I think I know it doesn't happen in football but you know he (laughs) they're the team he supports it was a wrench for him to leave Brentford but it was the club he loves You've got a man there who would bend over backwards, do more than the average mercenary boss to make sure the team he adores gets back on track. And they've not given him the chance to do that. And you could say, well, that's just a bit naive, isn't it? That's not what football's about. But sometimes it ought to be. And I do feel, as you said earlier, I was at the Arsenal game and there's proof that if you do let a bit of emotion into it and think well you know we, we appointed this man for a reason in Arteta and he went through a bad spell but you decide you're going to stick with him because he's going to grow into the job I think in this instance if you if you chart what Dean Smith has been through the cup final the playoffs the staying in on the last day of the season staying up the the, the work he put in in lockdown to, to change the defense because he knew it was going wrong he's proven that he'll put in the, the hard graft and why? So why not say, oh, he'll be able to do that again? This is yet another problem Villa have. He's overcome problems in the past. He could, with a bit of time, have done so again. I feel he is the fall guy here. Do you think Aston Villa are maybe guilty of wanting too much too soon or 
I don't want to accuse them of it, but some might say maybe a little bit above their station. You know, what are they expecting right now? In the statement, they spoke about continuous progression. Progression doesn't always go, (laughs) you know, it's not a kind of linear, straight upwards all the time. There might be ups and downs. And when you sell a player of Jack Grealish's standing and sort of the impact on the team, then there's inevitably going to be a bit of a kind of a realignment of the way that the team plays and you know, I, I, they have spent a lot of money it also kind of a sense of this where you're kind of covering, covering your own back a little bit you say well, well I think it's a net spend £200 million in the last few years like this, we should be getting more than this Dean and maybe it doesn't always it's not all his fault you know Buendia has done very very little Bailey has done very little not been much impact you know Danny Ings will I'm sure but he's had he's he's, uh, he's not done a great deal yet either I think I'm in agreement with everyone. I think it's it's very harsh, and you lose something when you've got, you've got a manager who's got that connection and and that kind of you know long long term long standing association with the club. I think you lose something when you cut them loose quite so easily and freely and quickly. And I think probably I think you know you see players coming out and saying, even Jack Grealish saying how much he he, he valued them, and I think a lot of the players will feel the same. So the next guy's I don't know who it's going to be, but the next guy's got to be someone who can kind of engage the players to the same degree very quickly. Yeah, I think that Gregor point's an interesting one because by all accounts, we're seeing reports this morning that not a lot of the players knew that this was coming, found it a complete shock. A lot of the players, like Grealish, were kind of quite upset because they were quite close with Smith. And so factor that in as well. It's not one of these where, oh, it's just time for a change, like perhaps we're about to talk with Daniel Fark at Norwich. It, it didn't feel like that. Mm. So whoever the new guy is, that adds an added element of difficulty to it as well. Five defeats. It's, it's, it's a bad run, but it's yeah. five defeats. Yeah. And there, you look at some of them in between. In the Wolves game, they were leading until the like 90th minute or whatever, just yeah. about, yeah. and they conceded two goals. That would have been a real dent to their confidence. But you know, you have to look at the context of some of these games. I thought they were decent against Arsenal for sway of the game, and then Arsenal scored when the referee's final whistle went, kind of thing. Mm. I've got the penalty, was it? You know, it, there have been little moments in this run that you think... You know, some of the games have been poor. West Ham, they were poor. They didn't look like they were great on at the weekend either. But there's been some little kind of. I've not quite got the rub of the green in some of these some of these games. And absolutely, I think the the key thing is would Dean Smith have been able to turn this round? And I would say yes. I mean, I was on the radio on Friday night, and um, at the end of the game, I said it's entering sacking territory for Dean Smith. Five straight defeats. The next five games: Brighton, Villa, Manchester City, Leicester City, and Liverpool. And I, and I just sort of remarked, obviously, if they lose ten in a row, then Dean Smith will probably be sacked. I didn't think it would come this weekend. I think he did have credit in the bank, but I, but I also did feel for a long time. Uh, as soon as Aston Villa got to the Premier League and they, they stayed up very fortuitously on, on the in the first season, you might remember the goal that wasn't given for Sheffield United when um, the goalkeeper basically carried it into the back of the net. Bournemouth would have stayed up had Sheffield United won that game instead of Villa getting that, the point that eventually did keep them up. And I always felt from that moment that it was they were waiting almost for a period of time that they went through a bit of poor form to get rid of Dean Smith or, as, as nice a guy as he was I, I I felt the season that they played really well on the back of great Jack Grealish performances 
that they were still feeling that they would want another manager. I always felt like they would have had a contingency plan. I certainly, if I ran Aston Villa, would have had a contingency plan because I I, I, I was criticised heavily for this, but I did say after that season that they stayed up the first year that I would have got rid of Dean Smith because I didn't think he was up to it tactically. Now, since then, finishing 11th, getting to the EFL Cup final, etc., I, I, I think... He has shown himself to be a very, very good coach, in particular at that club. But I'm not overly surprised that the club has moved on so quickly. They're hugely ambitious. You're talking about, you know, the above their station. Villa's a huge club. Yeah. And I said before, I think their owners are like the fourth, fourth richest in the Premier League. They've got, they've got, you know, lofty, lofty ambitions for the club and ambitions, and that's that's fine. And I think they're just, you know, there's always been a little inkling that maybe Dean Smith is not going to be the the guy to take them on the whole journey yeah and that's, why because that, he's a brummy that's just patronising just perceptions <laughs> that's the truth I think I think a lot of people would have felt that from the outside looking in I think a lot of Villa fans would have loved him to be the guy to take take him on the journey and I think he he's a very good coach so there's no reason why he couldn't have taken them much further but I just all I'm saying is I don't think you know it's not surprising it's not taken that much for them to roll the dice in a different direction now. Aston Villa's sporting director, Johan Lange. Lange, is that right? I don't know. You tell me, Danes. He's Danish, of course, and reportedly uh, interested in Denmark boss Kasper Hulmand. I think I got that one right. Um, he took them, of course, to the semi-finals of Euro 2020, but also being linked the Rangers boss, Steven Gerrard, the Belgian boss, Roberto Martinez, as well. Do you think any of those would be good moves for Aston Villa, Alison? They're based in the blooming Midlands. Why are they going all Danish? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a joke. <laughs> You're hurt by this. I, ju- I just, I just think it's a bit patronising, actually. That you've got instead of looking at what you've got, they're looking at what they haven't got. And anyone can do that in any walk of life about anything to do with your life. Oh, I wish that was a bit more glamorous. <laughs> Oh, uh, is this the moment we go all existential then? We it's always f- talk about that, don't we? That's what, I've always, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've thought we've been doing all along. No, but he, beat, he beat Liverpool 7-2. And he beat, he beat the mighty Manchester United at Old Trafford only a few months ago. And that, Chelsea. Yeah, th- those list of contenders you talk about, Hugh, there's no one that stands out and you're like, these guys are going to these guys are gonna bring him on far beyond what Smith did. Mm, I like the Denmark boss. I think he's a very good coach. No, but you actually. think about it, you look at the way they played. That was a very like pragmatic style. It yeah. was great, and we loved it, and it was perfect for their team. But that was a very like hard to beat pragmatic style. Which fine, maybe he'll come in for a year and he'll get them to mid table playing that way, and it'll be like, oh yeah, we didn't go down, and then he'll get sacked because he's not got them in the Europa League. Any mid ranking kind of Premier League team at the moment, I think they should. I think Steven Gerrard's a good option. I know Tom has different views about this, but I think he's. He's, he's got a big future, personally. Done a remarkable job at Rangers, big presence. You know, he's wise enough to bring in a good backroom staff around him, good coaching team. I think any team of this kind of, with ambition in the Premier League, Gerard would be a good option. Whether he'll go or not is a different question. We shall see exactly who Villa opt for by the time we get Premier League football back. Of course, it's the uh, international break. That means it's sacking season and Smith was actually the second Premier League boss to lose his job this weekend. After Norwich beat Brentford to get their first win of the Premier League season, Daniel Farker had promised to keep going, but he was sacked just hours later after four years in the role. He had led Norwich uh, to the Premier League twice in that time. His side, though, bottom of the Premier League, five points from 11 games so far was this one fair Alison oh no I love this one because this one (laughs) this speaks at last at long last after I don't know how many years of Norwich being a little bit ruthless 
bit brutal actually addressing the fact that if you're in the Premier League, you're supposed to want to stay there. And they've never really felt like they wanted to do that. They had these sort of, I don't know, naive ideas about it being holistic and the bigger picture might be that you have to go down and then come up and then go down. No, no, they've actually shown that regardless, they've made up their mind, regardless of what happened in that match, I honestly think they could have won 8-0 and they would still have sacked him because it's not just about Farker, it's about what it says about their ambition. And they're saying, uh, we stuck with him, it's not worked and we have to prove that we, we mean business. And I think by sacking him, that will tell the players that their comfort zone that they've been in, they've got to get out of it. Because I think... It does probably play with your mentality that if the club is happy to fail, then why should you give it that extra oomph in a, in a game? So I think this is very important for the image of the club. And if they're going to escape relegation, teams have to play them not being quite entirely sure what they're going to face. At the moment, it's just been, oh, it's Norwich, it's fine. And, you know, Brentford um, did turn it on in the second half and could easily have got a point out of it because they weren't scared of them. I mean, they're probably there. We count them as Brentford's bogey team because of the points they took off them last season. But anyway, no, excellent idea. I mean, I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not, nothing against Fark as an individual basis, but we have, I have said on this podcast, you know, he's, he's a lot of hot air comes out of his mouth. He seems very sweet, but no, it was time for him to go. And, and he admitted it a few days beforehand and said the, but bus driver would have done a better job. I think that signs your death warrant, doesn't it? I broadly agree without the kind of celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's true that Stuart Webber and the club have realised that the whole kind of atmosphere and perception... I had a sit-down with him last... What was it, two weeks ago now? He essentially gathered journalists to say, like, we're not happy with what you're reporting about us, that we've given up, that we're not trying. He's like, you know, last last the last time he said at the end of the season when they relegated sent him into war without a gun he's like this time we spent 70 million he had the figures he was like we're the 11th highest spenders in Europe so you know they they are really they recognised that the perception of Norwich as this little nice little club in you know in Norfolk that they're they're happy and I, I put the question to him as well do you regret ever saying that you you know that Norwich are a top 26 club and he said he kind of had this roundabout answer where it was like he gave me like a backhanded compliment by saying, "You know, I know you're good at your job, but um, you know that's we've changed the position on that." I was like, "Well, it doesn't matter that you've changed your position; it's stuck." Mm. You said mm. that that nobody's ever said that before, and it was quite refreshing at the time when you're in a championship. But when you go up and you come back down miserably, and you go up again and you look like you're going to come back down miserably, people remember that. So I think they kind of they've, they've, re- they've recognised that it was seeping into the fan base it was maybe even seeping into the changing room that the perception of this club is that we're not really giving it a proper go and the easiest way to change that was to sack Fark and I know it would be a very hard decision for, for Weber because they were very very close you know this journey they've been on it's a good it's a, a really good story like what Norwich were overspending cut their cloth accordingly and brought through young players spent a lot of money in the academy Fark has been a big part of that and he's done a great job but for whatever reason the first time it, he didn't have the players to stay up this time it's just the whole atmosphere in the club and it's not helped him and I think a change was, is best for everyone I think probably Fark would agree with that too Tom was it fair? Yeah definitely I think so we talked about Norwich a few weeks ago didn't we in slightly 
seemed like directionless and not sure where they were going after that defeat against Chelsea. Um, I can remember speaking to a colleague who's a Norwich fan and she was saying, yeah, even the most committed Daniel Fark fans were like, maybe it's time for a change. And it's just that contrast to the thing we were talking about with Aston Villa. This feels like the right decision. It feels like the right time for a change. Because as well, to go against the Stuart Webber thing, if we're not a top 26 team, that has to be part of the thinking as well. That if you have such a terrible season, then your, your next season and the hope to come back up from the championship becomes even more difficult. So that, that'll be part of the thinking as well, that we have to rebuild some of the enthusiasm around the club. Even if we go down, let's go down with a fight. And at the minute, they didn't look like they were doing that. The thing, the, the thing that's going to be interesting is who they appoint because mm. Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> well, there are rumours of a return for Frank Lampard. Yeah, and that would be such a kind of pivot for Weber. I think if Weber started off at, at Huddersfield, brought in David Wagner from Germany, went to Norwich, brought in basically Wagner's successor and Borussia Dortmund's second team. You know, he has this kind of blueprint. He wants a, a young, up and coming, gig impressing <laughs> manager. Frank Lampard would be the ultimate change. You know, shift in perception, saying we're a big club, we're a Premier League club. We've got Frank Lampard as manager. They might even be looking at it and thinking that that's just that's almost as important as whether we stay up or go down. Mm. Just to say we're not little old Norwich, we're not the team that's not having a go. We've just got like Frank Lampard in as manager. So I'm still I'm still sceptical about whether that would happen or not. I still think he probably there'll be someone from left field. But you know that would be a a marked shift in their direction. Alison. Frank Lampard, having it? Having it. I think Frank Lampard is desperate to show the world that he was, it was wrong for him to be let go by Chelsea, that he has more to give. And he does have a reputation, and I, I don't think he's been around long enough for it to be a deserved reputation, but he does have a reputation for working well with youngsters and academy players. And if there's a lot of um, unpolished talent at Norwich to come through, then it's a chance for him to prove that he can, you know, he's a good value coach. He can he can bring stuff together that just needs fine tuning. So I, if I was, I wouldn't actually be surprised if Frank Lampard was trying to convince Delia that I'm your man, actually. Still think Sam Allardyce might have a shout this time at Norwich. Um, just finally on it, is this squad good enough, depending on who takes charge, is the squad good enough to stay in the Premier League, Tom? No, I don't think so. If we're being blunt about saying, oh, Aston Villa won't go down, Norwich probably will when you look at the teams. And so that's why I think this is arguably as much a change, as much as Stuart Webber won't admit it, looking to next season. And as Greg has hinted at, the, the overall view as to how Norwich are viewed and that they don't want to go down with a whimper. Let's let's go down with a bang, and so yeah, I, I, it's going to be it'd be it'd be a hell of a job for whoever does keep them up, Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's certainly a lot more than what they've they've produced in that team. You look at someone like Ben Gibson; he was he was supposed to be brilliant at the weekend. He he's not looked like a Premier League defender. Yeah. Grant Hanley was outstanding in the Championship. He's not looked like a Premier League defender this season. You mean they've got a championship squad? Is what you're saying? Look, there are elements of it that still look that way, but I think there are players. Norman was 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 outstanding at the weekend, um, and I think some of the players they, they bought. There's a lot of potential in them, but uh, probably the answer is no. I'm, I'm trying to convince. <laughs> <laughs> three, three do just, have to no, go down. No, no, three have to no go one's down. writing off Newcastle yet, and they're on the same number of points now, and they've just got a new manager in. They, they do have, and they have a championship squad. Currently, but they've got January to get a, a non-championship squad. Okay, but still, I wouldn't say that the difference between Newcastle and Norwich is that vast. 
Well, at the moment, it's, it's just goal difference. So, yeah, I can see what you're saying. I think they're going to go down. I would love to see Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard get them all in. Skulls, Campbell, <laughs> Ferdinand. Let's get that whole World Cup team from 2002 managing in the Premier League. By the way, not many English managers left. We can talk about that on another episode of the Game Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all uh, for being with me for the past hour or so. Remember, if you enjoyed the podcast, rate us, leave us a review wherever you listen as well and make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you're subscribe to the times and the sunday times as well for more award-winning journalism uh, go online check it out if you sign up today you'll get yourself one month three it's the times.co.uk forward slash the game uh, international window of course so we will see you all on thursday selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.